All right, so here we are. We are in the last week of our series, Almost. And you're like, I'm glad that we are almost done. So Melissa, if you can ch change the stage display, that would be awesome. But here's one thing that I do know. Sometimes when you bring a hard word, sometimes when you bring a hard word, you need to be protected. So that's what this week's about. I know last week you might have had a little bit of, of this uh, issue where you felt maybe they got a little bit too intense. I make no apologies. I make no apologies for today because here's the thing that we do know. Here's the thing that we do know is that when we started out in this series, we had the opportunity to, uh, to ask that question, um, Lord, do I chase after things? Do I chase after these things that I shouldn't chase after? Am I, am I going on this endless pursuit of things? Am I going on this endless pursuit of things that are not worthy of you? God, am I putting myself in this spot where I am looking, I'm looking for these things that are, are, are just not enough. And we, talk, we talked about this idea that we were chasing after fame. And we said, you know what? I don't chase after fame. That's not something that I do. But then we realized in those moments, in those moments as we are going into, into our lives and, and we're looking for the opportunity to be known, we're looking for that opportunity for people to notice us, put ourselves out there, and we find ourselves having to repeat something in ourselves. God, would you give me less of me, less of me, and more of you? God, would you give me less of me, less of those things that, that draw me away, less of those things that make me want people to see me, but God, instead, would you in every post and in every conversation that you have, me engage in, in every business meeting, in every place of my workplace, would God, would you have me in every meeting that I have, say less of me and more of you. And so we continued through that. Then we talked about our favorite subject, money. We talked about our resources, the thing that God, things that God gives us. And we came on this statement that God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. But I will not trust in my riches, but in him who richly provides. And this is the kicker on that one. Because I have more, I will give more and do more. And that, we figured out, my friends, is how to be rich. Then one of my more favorite ones, because it's one that I struggle with a lot, and we talked about perfection, the chasing after, making everything perfect. And, and what we landed on is understanding that our perfect purpose is to love God and to love people. Our perfect purpose in life is to love God and love people. The promise of God is not that we would be flawless in this world, to which we say, amen, right? But that we can be whole in this life because God calls us to a life that is full, that is rich, that is deep, that is invested in him through his son. And we talked about seeking approval. And we do that in so many different ways. For some of us, it's in our inability to say no. 
It's in our inability to, to put a boundary in place that truly needs to be in place. But what we found out is that our perfect purpose is to please God through Christ, to make every decision, every action that we engage in, one that is engaging others through the lens of Christ. Your purpose is to please God through Christ, not seeking the approval of others. And we found out that because of Jesus, because of Jesus God approves of you. He approves of me because of Jesus. And when you believe this, you can declare it. And when you believe this, you can live it. And then last week's sermon had a pretty high response rate. And I'm, I'm pretty impressed about the response rate that we got. In fact, I made a pie chart about it. The sermon response rate was very high. In fact, it just didn't go the way I thought it would. 95% of you thought about chicken fried steak. Three percent thought about, you know, starting a core workout, but then there were the overachievers, the two percent that thought about combining chicken fried steak with a core workout. And so, you know, it was it was a really I, I think it was a pretty successful campaign. Um, I'm hoping to get a little bit of a kickback from Sammy's. I'm not sure if it's going to come in though. Since food got the best of this use, let's go then to the bottom line of last week. Pursuing comfort eliminates our need for faith. You remember when we said pursuing comfort, the things that make us feel comfortable and surrounding ourselves by all of those things eliminates the hard. And oftentimes it eliminates our need for faith. If we have all our comforts and, and we no longer look to God for our needs, we end up just chasing after comfort. And it keeps us from stretching. It keeps us from, from being pulled in the directions that God wants us to be pulled. It keeps us from, from dreaming big. It keeps us from doing the things that God wants us to do. It keeps us from daring to dream the bigger dreams, the bigger than us things, particularly as a church. And the question I left you with was this. Are you willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of Christ? Then we broke it down. We said, have you made worship about you? Have you made church about you? Your prayers, are they about you? So what would it take? What would it take for all of that to change? You remember, you felt a little uncomfortable. So again, before we start today's message, I, I got to prepare. Okay. Okay. So this is the preaching helmet. And, and I think really what's going to happen is anytime I have a, a message that is going to be a little bit hard for you to receive, I think I'm just going to bring it out so you know, right? Because I think what happens is this, sometimes you hear things and you want to throw things and I want to be ready. <laughs> okay or you want to bring down the house or throw me out the door. I'm not sure, but here, here, here's how I'm going to start. You ready? God never changes. No big deal, right? God never changes. There's nothing too hard in that statement. In fact, we find out really through our lives that God is the only constant in life. 
unchanging, is so, so unchanging as God that he never changes, even in the midst of the continuous change of the world around us. In fact, Numbers 23 says this way, God is not a man, so he does not lie. Put that on a bumper sticker, right? Ladies are like, yeah, God's not a man. <laughs> He's not a human. So he does not change his mind. And all the men go, yeah. <laughs> mm. Has he ever spoken? Has God ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? We have this question in the scripture, does God change? And the answer is no. So the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13 says it this way. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James says that every good and perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no, sh no variation nor shadow due to change. And what we find in, this, in these three scriptures is that there's a platform on which God stands that he does not change. Regardless of what you experience, regardless of how you feel, regardless of the emotion that you have in the moment, God does not change. In fact, the steadiness of God, the non-changingness of God, the constant of God is the very thing that we must anchor, tether our lives to. You should anchor and tether your life to the unchanging reality of God. So if I were to summarize this entire series, here's how I'd do it. Anchor your heart to God and don't chase after idols. Because God never changes. Because there's no moment where God is different than he was the day before, the year before, the century before, time past or time future. God will never change. He is the anchor. Traditions. Buildings, styles, procedures, all of those are not God. Okay. That was ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> when we anchor the church to the wrong things, the church becomes irrelevant. Mm. What does irrelevant mean? It means no longer relevant. For example, eight tracks, floppy disks, blockbuster. When we anchor to the wrong things, we become irrelevant. Irrelevance happens when the language, the methods, or the styles you use no longer connect to the culture or the people around you. So what happens in, in our lives, in the communities that we live in, in our churches, if we are irrelevant with our methods, with our language, with our styles, we end up speaking a language that people no longer understand. They no longer understand it and they no longer appreciate it. 
irrelevant people eventually lose the ability to communicate meaningfully with the very people that they care about and contribute. They, they, they just fail to have the ability to contribute to the things that they're passionate about. For example, maybe you were the top of your field. Maybe in your professional life you're at the top of your field and now you can't get a job. Think of phone book salesmen. Maybe at one time you were an innovator. You always had something great, something new. In fact, maybe you invented the spork. Who knows? But now you can't get anybody to hear your latest pitch. Maybe as a church you saw tremendous growth. And now it's just dusty corners and cobwebs in the memory of people who were once there. Here's the harshness of irrelevance. Irrelevance slowly squanders, silently squanders your influence. When you no longer speak the same language, when you no longer have the impact that God designed you to have, you squander your influence in a generation. Eventually what happens is you get labeled as a person or as a church who doesn't quite get it. Or a person that just doesn't matter in the conversation anymore. Pert said that when the speed of change outside is greater than the speed, the change of speed inside an organization, that is when it becomes irrelevant. So the gap between you And change is called irrelevance. The bigger the gap, the more irrelevant you are. So here's my question. What's changing faster, you or culture? Most of us are on a fast track to irrelevance because quite simply, we stopped changing. So before you turn me off completely, I want to tell you what we're not talking about. We are not talking about theological beliefs. If you change that, it won't be long until you sold your soul. We're not talking about the things that don't change. We're not talking about the core beliefs that we hold. What we are talking about are the things that do. The goal of of our lives is not to chase after culture. It's not to become just like everybody else. The goal is to understand culture well enough to speak into it. That's our goal, to understand culture well enough to speak into it. And that, of course, requires change, adaptation. For example, we normally get stuck in a decade of music in our age range, when we were about 16 to 24, that's about the, the, the music that we really enjoy and we kind of take with it, take us with us throughout our lives. For me, it's U2 to Coldplay, right? Blink-182 to Imagine Dragons, Backstreet Boys to Justin Bieber, okay? That's my 16 to 24. Your taste in music doesn't change, though, much over the years. 
And that's why you listen to current music and you ask yourself, how can they call that music? (laughs) Right? For example, for those of you that were born sometime in the 1950s, here's the music that you likely enjoy the most. So most of you are like, why don't we sing songs like that in church? But I do realize the risk that I just ran is that all you're going to talk about is the music that was on at church today. And so, (laughs) but here's the thing. When we leave things unchecked, we tend to live in the decade that a lot of our tastes, our knowledge, and our experiences were shaped. That happens not only in in just our, our normal everyday life, but that's what happens in our church life too. We stay frozen in the era that we love the best. Because we know what we know. We like that feeling of a more simple time. The one that we once understood. The one that we understood, well, more than the current one. And you know this is true because you see it all around. 
Think about a restaurant, an office building, a school um, that has not changed. In fact, you walk into maybe your school building if it's, a, if it's an older one, and, and it brings you back to 1990, 1970, whatever it is, and you, you just remember those feelings come flooding back. The funny thing is that not only, only do they sometimes look the same, sometimes they smell the same, Right? But if you're not careful, you may even smell the same way too. Especially if you stop changing. All right. All right. So here's the problem. Culture never, <laughs> never asks permission to change. Cars, fashion, technology. It never asks your permission to change. In fact, who remembers thinking, I can't believe that I can't work on my car anymore because it's all computers, right? How many of you said, I can't believe what kids are wearing these days? Yeah. I can't believe that they're wearing the things that I wore when I was in middle school now. But here's the thing about change. Here's the thing about things progressing is no one asked your permission. They didn't have the courtesy to ask you if it was okay. And that happens in the church. No one asked if it was okay for culture to change around us. And that's exactly how irrelevance happens. We can beat it. We can beat it. We can get the church out of irrelevance. Change is the only thing that bridges the gap between who you are and who you need to be. Change keeps your job skills fresh. It keeps your language up to date. It keeps you connected to your kids and eventually, your grandkids. Change is the only thing that bridges that gap. Hold up, Pastor. I thought you said that God never changes. And to that, I'd say you are absolutely right. God never changes. He is the same today, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But God does require that our lives are in a state of consistent change to be more like his son. God requires us to be more like Jesus, to enter in through that narrow gate, to not be the ones that go on the broad path, to be the ones that walk in through the narrow gate, the ones that lay our lives down in order to pick up his. God requires that our lives are consistently changing, trending towards being more like his son. So following God always means change for us. Think about the Israelites. They were in Egypt living their life as slaves. The Israelites were in Egypt under, under Pharaoh and they continued to work and to build and do things for other people. But God sent his, his messenger Moses and said, there's somewhere that God is calling you out. He's calling you out into the place that is flowing with milk and honey. But it requires a change in your status. You need to no longer be slaves, but you need to be my people doing my things for my purpose. 
In fact, all through the scriptures, you find significant things happen when names change. Abram becomes Abraham. Saul becomes Paul. But here's one thing I want you to know. The mission of the church, it has not changed for over 2,000 years. It has not changed. We have. Irrelevance means that you're staying the same and you no longer are being changed into the church or the people that God needs you to be. We need to become the people that God needs us to be in order to influence a world that violently opposes him. Now, I've been a Christian for over three decades. Now, that's nothing compared to some of you, I understand. But I've been a Christian for over 30 years. And I've been part as a kid and as on staff, a part of more than a dozen churches. Churches ranging from 20 people to over 2,000 people. And each one of them is a little bit different. But each one is supposed to have the exact same mission. What's that mission? To go, to tell, right? The mission is to go tell others about the goodness and the grace and the mercy that can only be found in Jesus. To not stay where you are, to not stay sedentary, but to go and to be and to help others become so that others will know. The mission of the church has not changed. But here's the difference between those churches. Some of them stayed relevant and they pursued the mission with passion. And others, well, they built walls to keep others out. See, they found this place where they were comfortable. And they decided this looks like a great place for me to plant a flag. Anchor it right here to this one spot, this one moment in time, and I'm just going to plant my flag right here. And they planted the flag, and they built a wall around it. And then they placed a covering over that wall. That was to keep the flag from being tattered. Eventually, though, they needed to put the the flag behind glass so that no one could really bother it, right? And they would only pull it out for special occasions. Eventually, it came that this, this flag that was put behind these walls under this covering behind this glass was then eventually a, a ticket only event. You had to have special clearance to get to it. You had to get special clearance in order for people to see that flag, to be near it. And that's what happens when you choose to plant your flag on things that are not of the unchanging God. The churches, though, that were relevant, they didn't all look sound or feel the same. But they did some of the mo- they mostly did some of the same things. They did things like working hard to engage their cities. 
working hard to be a voice in the community and leading with passion, leading with passion in their neighborhoods. Relevant churches show their friends and their neighbors what it looks like when Jesus is lifted high. Relevant churches depend on people passionately pursuing the mission that God has planted us here for and doing our part to be consistently changed into the likeness of his son. For us to do what God wants us to do, we have to do our part. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19, he's in Ephesus, and Paul has been in Ephesus for about two years, and he's there with a couple of people we know. He's there with John, he's there with Timothy, and there's some elders there, and in this, this place, there's a lot that we know about what's going on in this church. You find it in First and Second Timothy, you find it in First, Second, and Third John, and you find it in the book of Ephesians. And there were some amazing things going on. Paul was, was doing ministry there. He was teaching and growing these young people and knowing how to engage the culture around them. In fact, there's so much going on in here. There, we're, the passage we're going to look at has these uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists. That's kind of like a niche thing. But these itinerant Jewish exorcists coming, and it involves Paul's hanky. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of these guys, the itinerant Jewish exorcists, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. Seven sons of Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But here's what happened. The evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom there was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Side note, how do you know you've lost a fight? You lost your drawers, okay? And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, because gossip always makes its way to the outside, especially when Satan is winning inside a church. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their secret passages. Don't miss this. After the show of the power of Satan against those who are misusing the name of God, there came a change of repentant heart because people saw what happens when you don't honor God with your life. The believers came with repentant hearts. Repentant means that you recognize you have sin. You recognize it and you choose 
to lay it down and walk away. A 180, a life change. Confessing their sins, they came and they gave up their idols. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought together their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of those books and they found them to be 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of silver equates to about $8.57 million in today's dollars. 50,000 daily wages or $64,000 a year for 136 years. They counted the value and it was immense. So the, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So don't miss this. The proper response to Jesus is consistent change into his likeness. Placing the anchor of your soul, not in the things of the church, but in the proper place. Anchor of your soul in the reality of the Lord God Almighty. Jesus had this to say about his church in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, this I have against you that you've abandoned, abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If you don't, if not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If we don't get to first things first, if we don't get our own personal hearts right before God, God will remove our lampstand. He will remove the effectiveness of a church in a generation. If you don't have your heart in the right place, repentant before the Lord, if you do not have a church in the right posture before God, he will remove your lampstand and you will no longer shine light on those around you. Acts 19, they were openly confessing. They were openly repentant. They were openly saying, my sin burdens me. I cannot be burdened by my sin anymore. And they came and they repented and they turned from their sinful ways and they were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives and the renewing of their lives into the likeness of the Son of God. They did it at great personal cost. And this wasn't just the new believers. It wasn't just the ones who had just known about Christ. It was the ones who had already believed. And then came the others. If you remember, the lampstand is the presence of God. It represents God's presence in the church. God's presence equals our influence. Our influence is made known by Jesus being lifted high so that people will be drawn to him. John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The church flourishes on mission when we stop playing. When we get real, when we stop pretending that we have it all together and realize that we have sin. Even those sins that you think no one knows about. You need to recognize that we have sin because the world knows it. The community knows it. The ones in the community see it. Your coworkers, they experience it. The community, the world is drawn to authenticity, not hypocritical self-righteousness. The believers brought their books. They brought these expensive possessions because they did not honor God. The people who have not grown up in church, when they come, they bring a bit of messiness when they come to Jesus. And Paul shows us the right attitude that we are to have to help others, to not serve ourselves. Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard, working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So the question I want us to think about today is how do we become relevant? How do we ensure that our anchor as a church is in Christ and not in our own flags and our own likes? Love the mission more than the method. Love the mission more than the program. Love the mission more than anything else. In our next step class, we talk about the, the, the pyramid basically of the church. And basically we say that we have our core, our foundational beliefs, and they all build up on the, the great commission, the mission of the church until we get to this line. And these are the things that are below this line that never change, but the things that are above the strategies, the goals, they change. Strategies and goals are programs, music, and tools. Strategies and goals are music, programs, and tools. We all have those things that we like. We do. But we need to love the mission of the church that is to seek and to save those who are lost, to proclaim Jesus until he returns, to lift Jesus high so that others will be drawn to him. That is the mission, the vision, the standard of this church. Now, the strategies and the goals and how we do those things will change, but the word of God never changes. Our God never changes. The next thing, to be relevant, we need to make big radical changes because incremental change brings incremental results. Big change means repent. Repent. 
be consistently changed into the likeness of Christ. Love people more than you love comfort. Number three, become a student of culture so that you may speak into it. Seek to understand so that you can become a guide to lift people to the place where they can see Jesus lifted high. Be a guide to show others Jesus lifted high so that Jesus can change them from the inside out. But if we know culture and can speak into culture, we say, I see you. Because everyone wants to be seen and everyone wants to be known. So as a church, can we speak into culture? Number four, surround yourself with younger people. Take an interest in their world and in their life. Don't criticize. Seek to understand. Did you know that so many people do some of their best life work and they have their greatest contributions later in their lives? Because they have an opportunity to pour a lifetime's worth of knowledge and insight and wisdom back into culture. So maybe instead of railing against the way things are, we can learn to leverage the past and present to make a better future. Step in to make things better. Change is hard, but the right kind of change ushers in so much good. You may prefer, though, to do things your own way and keep everything the same. But for the sake of the next generation, for the sake of you contributing throughout your entire life, don't just intend to change, actually do it. Don't just intend to change, actually do it because unimplemented change, guess what? It becomes one of your biggest regrets. So unfortunately for the church, irrelevance becomes a lost generation. And I want you to know that an irrelevant church the lost generation, that every single one of them has a name. Every single name has a soul. And when we choose to be, seek after our own comfort more, we choose to neglect those names before God Almighty. The ones that we refuse to reach become our biggest regrets, because regret has a name. So, are you willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of Christ? You're not going to want to miss next week. You're not going to want to miss it. Let's pray.